Covert narcissism is so well hidden that most victims have no idea that it's actually abuse until they are many years or even decades into a relationship. Some never, ever see it at all. You know, by the time you even start to question it, you are so enmeshed in the relationship that it just seems incredibly overwhelming. This is part two of a two-part series that's on the signs of covert narcissism. If you missed part one, go back and listen to last week's episode. It's titled, It's About What the Victim Doesn't See. In that episode, I talk about the fact that the victim does not see the abuse, and I don't want to take anything away from the fact that the world doesn't see it either. You know, a few people have mentioned that to me this week, and and the world certainly does not see it. I get that, but that's not an issue that I'm dealing with in that particular episode, because to me, the biggest hurdle right at the beginning is that the victim doesn't see it. That the world doesn't see it is an issue that I will be addressing here in a future episode. So that episode, the part one of last week, is the covert narcissism checklist. And I explain how each abusive characteristic is so easily hidden from the victim. Now, this is part two. And part two is about the signs that are in you, the victim. Sometimes the best way to tell if a person is narcissistic is to look at the thoughts and feelings of those that are closest to them, in particular, the victim or the target. You need to take a deep look inside of you to see if these signs of abuse are there. I'm Renee Swanson, your host and creator of the Covert Narcissism Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Now, before we begin, I want to address one question that was asked of me after releasing last week's podcast. I was asked if a person had to carry all the traits in order to be a covert narcissist. Well, the answer to that is certainly not. You know, this person went on to say that their abuser or their their person that they, they were questioning definitely carried a lot of the traits, but not all. And this left them in doubt. No, they do not need to carry all of the traits in order for it to be abuse. In fact, every single trait that I mentioned is abusive in and of itself. Now, if the person really truly only carries one and has enough good inside of him, then the two of you can work together and work through this and improve your relationship. So, I mean, there's things to consider there. And it isn't that the one trait should continue forever. People evolve as they age. And if they're dominantly a good person, then they will continue to work on their flaws and they will continue to improve their relationship with you. If they're dominantly a bad person, then they won't. So, you know, just because a person might have you know, only one of 10 traits of narcissism doesn't mean that one trait is okay. It still needs to be addressed and you still need to go on from there. You know, how many traits do they have to carry in order to actually be a covert narcissist? Well, there's no single answer to that. In reality, it doesn't even matter. What matters is how he treats you. If if he sees how he's hurting you, if he takes ownership of it, and if he truly works on self-reflection and self-improvement, and I say he here because that's my experience, but I know there are many women who also, you know, are, are covert narcissists and are abusive in this way. But I encourage you, don't get caught up in diagnosing. What matters is how they treat you. What matters is how you feel around them, which leads us right into the signs that are inside the victim of the covert narcissist. So here we go. Sign number one, you feel certain that something is off in your relationship. You really aren't sure what. You aren't even sure if it's him or if it's you or if it's something else completely, but you know that something just isn't right. 
you know, you may think to yourself, he shouldn't talk to me that way. And you may think this one minute, but the very next minute you turn right around and you think, well, maybe he was right. Maybe I should have done that differently. Your relationship seems very complex, very complicated, and you don't even really know why. Sometimes you might actually say to others, it's just hard to explain. I I really don't know how to put it into words. All right, that's a sign that maybe something is toxic here. Maybe something is abusive here. Number two, you feel like there is a distance between you and him. And no matter what, you simply cannot close that distance. You cannot feel connected to him. You don't feel closeness. You don't feel safety. You don't feel relaxed around him. And here's another one. You don't feel like yourself. Instead, you feel guarded and and on alert. That space between you and him feels uncomfortable and tense. In healthy relationships, you are able to relax around your partner more than anyone else in the world. That partner accepts your good and your bad. That partner allows you to accept their good and their bad. This erases that uncomfortable distance between you or never even really allows it to form in the first place. Number three, you carefully control your words and actions around him. You're trying hard to keep from upsetting him. In fact, your mind is in high drive. It's analyzing a hundred different ways to say something that you want to say before you ever even utter a single word. Even small things, if you have to say something small to him, even a small thing requires at least 50 different options inside your head. And then you decide on the one that, you know, that one way that you want to ask him or tell him, but you've got several options in your back pocket. You've got options in reserve and backup plans for when things go sour. And notice I didn't say if things go sour, but rather when things go sour in your gut, you already know that they will. And if that's the case, if that's the way you're feeling, then you might be dealing with a covert narcissist. Number four goes right along with this. You overanalyze conversations after they've happened. What went wrong? What could I have said differently? Why did he get so mad? How do I avoid that next time? You know, how do I make this better the next time? This occupies major amounts of time in your headspace. You continue to find the quote unquote perfect way to talk to him so that he never gets upset or angry with you. You mentally prepare and practice what you will say when you talk to him next time. You make great arguments and justifications in your mind on a regular basis. So one thing that just does not exist is spontaneous conversations. Spontaneous conversations cannot exist because they are not safe. Your words are guarded and analyzed constantly. Let me tell you something. In healthy relationships, partners don't do this. They are able to talk spontaneously with each other. Yes, they do get mad sometimes. Both sides, they get mad. But both sides are able to back up, take some ownership, and apologize. It might sound real simple, like, hey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have gotten mad. And the other person says, I'm sorry, too. I I really could have said that better. I was being insensitive. And that's it. Done. Period. Over. Apologies accepted, and everyone moves forward, and there's no baggage. This keeps the environment safe and healthy. Now you don't have to anticipate a hundred different ways to say something. You don't have to overanalyze what went wrong. Listen to what I'm saying. If you're in a healthy relationship, this doesn't happen 
because the environment stays safe. Yes, people get mad. Yes, people get their feelings hurt. All of that still happens, yes. But both sides are able to come back, take ownership, apologize, and move forward. Number five, you feel like you can never tell him no. When you do, there is a price to pay. So you learn not to go there. Whatever they want to do, you feel obligated to do this. Okay, there's two big reasons for this. One is if you don't, they'll sulk around making a huge display of how hurt they are, making you feel bad, making you feel guilty and insensitive. And you give in just because you don't like feeling guilty. And this goes back to the guilt manipulation that I've talked about here before. The other reason that this, you know, you never feel like you can tell them no is because you're working so hard to have a connection with him that you feel like you can't tell him no. You've got to do what he wants because you're hopeful that this will improve the relationship. Number six, you think that if they would understand, if they just could understand how much they are hurting you with their words and actions, then they will change. You are convinced that this is true. So you work so hard to explain to them how you feel and why. You approach this from a hundred different angles. And you think to yourself, if I could just find the right way to say it, then this would all get better. You might even think that if you cannot find those right words that they can understand, then somehow this stays as your fault and not theirs. Listen to what I just said. Somehow this stays on your shoulders. It's your fault that you can't find the right way to say it. You know, you try to tell them how you feel and why, and you try from all these different angles and they still don't get it. So it's your fault for not being able to explain it properly. You put all this effort into trying to learn their um, language, I guess, so to speak. And they put no effort into trying to learn yours. They just sit back and watch you struggle. And it's your fault. Come on. This is them choosing not to listen, not to understand. If they say they don't understand and they don't get it, when you have worn yourself out trying to explain it, that's on them. So if you think that it is your fault for not being able to explain yourself to them, you need to take a strong look at this relationship. This is a huge sign that you are in a relationship with a toxic and abusive person, quite possibly a covert narcissist. All right, number seven is a little bit more, uh, a little bit different from all these others. You're Googling words like narcissism, emotional abuse, silent treatment, gaslighting, passive aggressiveness. I'm going to tell you something. People in healthy relationships don't do this. Even that you are listening to this podcast. You know, I don't have an audience full of people who are in healthy relationships. I'm just going to say that right now. All right, number eight. You make excuses for going out with other people friends, family, even your own kids. You can't just say that you want to go out with this person. You have to justify it with things like, well, they're going through a rough time and they need my support. Or it's the only night that they can do it and we've been trying to get together for a month. You feel like you have to explain yourself all the time. And this is because you've been feeling their jealousy, whether, whether conscious or not, that jealousy is there. And so you feel like you always have to justify going out with somebody or doing going out with someone or doing something with someone else. You're often defending yourself before you ever even speak a word. You feel the need to always explain yourself. Number nine, you feel guilty for doing anything that does not involve them. You feel like your hobbies have to be their hobbies and their hobbies have to be your hobbies. 
you know, if you were in a situation like mine, you feel like you have to take on their hobbies just to help them stay involved in something productive. You know, in my situation, he liked photography. It wasn't my thing, but he liked it. But he wouldn't take initiative and just pursue it and do it. Instead, he'd lay it around and play games on his uh, electronic devices all the time. But if I signed up for the class with him, then he would go. If I got involved, then he would participate. So I felt responsible to do this because, again, it kept him from laying around gaming all the time. And I felt like that that was my responsibility. You know, your decisions in a, in a relationship with a covert narcissist, your decisions about how you spend your daily time revolve around their schedule, their plans, their interests, their hobbies, their activities every single day, all the time. You know, marriage is not supposed to be an enmeshment. You don't have to do everything together. In fact, I recommend that you don't. You have your likes and dislikes and he has his. You have your hobbies and he has his. It's okay to do some things together, but each of you still have your own personalities, your own desires, your own likes, your own life. And that's okay. That's healthy. Number 10, you feel like you are never good enough. No matter how much you love, how much love you show them, no matter how hard you work for them to be happy, you never feel like it's enough. You always come up short. You feel that you truly don't know how to make your partner happy. You know, you try hard, but nothing ever seems to work, at least not for very long. It might work for a short time, but it always backfires. You feel inadequate as though you're falling short of their expectations again and again and again. And again, I'm going to say you feel like this is your fault and your responsibility to fix. It's all on your shoulders. Their happiness is all your job, your responsibility, your fault. Again, if this is the case with you, look inside yourself. If you feel like you are responsible for that person's happiness, then you might be dealing with a covert narcissist because I'm going to tell you something. Every single person alive is responsible for their own happiness. You can't make somebody else be happy ever. I don't care what you do, how good you are, how perfect you are. You can't do it. His happiness is his responsibility. Number 11, you are exhausted. I am not talking here about the exhaustion that's after a full day of work or after a hard workout or after a day of playing with the kids. I'm not talking about that. This exhaustion is much, much deeper than that. This is a bone dry exhaustion that makes everything inside of you hurt. You are painfully empty, nothing left in the tank and no way to fill it back up again. Now, the only people who know what I'm talking about here are those who have lived it, those who have felt it, those who have experienced it. You know, if you have, you know what I mean. And anyone who has not lived this cannot possibly understand this level of exhaustion. They'll tell you, oh, yeah, I've been kind of tired, too. No, they don't get it. You know, they'll tell you, oh, you need to go rest. Just go take a day for yourself. They don't understand. You can't rest. If you're still living with your covert narcissist, resting is not an option. This is every day, every moment of every day. 
Go back and listen to this list that I just gave you. This is why you are exhausted. This is why you are spent. A relationship with a covert narcissist requires enormous amounts of energy from the victim. Covert narcissists steal your life energy. They have none of their own and they live off of the energy of their victims. So please start noticing how your energy is being spent, who you are giving it to, and how you are replenishing your energy. We will be talking about this more in upcoming episodes. So those are the 11 signs that I wanted to give you today of signs that are inside the victim that you might be dealing with a covert narcissist in your life. I hope that this is helpful to you. I truly do. And if you are benefiting from this podcast, please consider supporting us. It's strictly donation-based and it helps to cover my cost with producing this. Upcoming episodes include parenting nightmares with a covert narcissist. They also include how to help others understand what you're going through. Another upcoming episode is going to be about the the energy vampires, like what I was just talking about and, and protecting your energy. Also, Hopefully, as soon as next week, is going to be an interview with Dr. Erica Ellis. She's a licensed psychologist who works with parents to protect their children in high-conflict divorce. I think you will find her work to be extremely helpful to any of you who are trying to go through that divorce process or trying to go through that parenting process with a covert narcissist. Again, if you are benefiting from this podcast, please consider supporting us, or at the very least, hit that like button or that favorite button to help spread the word on covert narcissism to our world. I wish you much peace on your journey of healing. I never dreamed how much I would actually enjoy podcasting. When it was first suggested to me, I'll be honest, I was a bit intimidated by the thought. But when I found Anchor, I quickly realized how easy this was going to be. Anchor provides me with the tools to record and edit right within their program. I don't need additional software. I didn't even need to know how to distribute the podcast because they do it all for me. I would not be where I am today as a podcaster without Anchor. It's all you need and completely free. If you are looking to get started, download the Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started.